From claims of healings and visions to the world's most inexplicable events, whether you're a believer or a skeptic, the truth is always worth the hunt. EWTN Radio presents The Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill. Welcome to The Miracle Hunter Radio Show on EWTN Radio. This is Michael O'Neill on The Miracle Hunter. People who tune into this show know that I love talking about saints, future saints specifically, and American saints. And to be honest, being a Chicago guy myself, I really like talking about those saints and future saints from Chicago. We have people like Augustus Tolton, uh, who's uh, moving up from Venerable, perhaps to Blessed at some point soon. And we have people who are actually canonized saints, like Mother Cabrini. And there's a brand new film that's out that a lot of Catholics are excited about. It's called Cabrini. It's from Angel Studios. And we'll be speaking with the executive producer of that new film, Eustace Wolfington. We'll be excited uh, for that interview uh, later in today's program. And we'll be talking again about Our Lady of Good Success, which is a Marian apparition which dates back to uh, 1594, perhaps. Uh, the details of those early years are always hard to come by. But there's a brand new book uh, from Sophia Institute Press called Our Lady's Prophecies by author James Valois. We'll be joining James uh, later in the program to uh, discuss this brand new book about uh, Our Lady of Good Success, Nuestra Señora de Buen, Buen Suceso from Quito in Ecuador. And that's a place I've been to myself. And uh, the prophecies that came out of that uh, very early Marian apparition for the 20th century are startling. So uh, I'm very uh, happy that this book has written Our Lady's Prophecies. So uh, join us later as we talk to James about uh, some of the incredible things that were predicted and that uh, have indeed come true. And for people who want to check out my program, They Might Be Saints, every uh, Wednesday at 8 a.m. Central Time. Uh, On February 20th coming up, we have the episode on Francis Xavier Silos. In the life of Francis Xavier Silos, who was a renowned confessor, spiritual director, and leader of missions throughout the United States in the early 19th century, there's a promising new miracle that's being attributed to him. So we'll be checking that one out. They might be saints on uh, February 28th at 8 a.m. And check out my program, Explore with the Miracle Hunter. The Lepuy episode is coming up. Most people, uh, most Catholics, even Catholics who are interested in Marian apparitions don't know about Lepuy, which is a very early Marian apparition, one of the very first. It occurred in the year 250 in Lepuy, France. Uh, There, a convert named Vila saw a vision of the Virgin Mary and was completely cured of her serious illness. I'll be investigating that Marian apparition on Saturday, uh, March 2nd at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Check that one out. That's one of the newest episodes that we have. And later in the show, we're going to be looking at the 365 Days with Mary project for today is the Virgin Guide from Alcarrejos in Spain in the 13th century. And the might be saint of the day is Blessed Florentina Nicol Golfil uh, from Spain. Uh, and then she lived from 19, or 1868 to 1940. And the question of the week, why is the Catholic Church sometimes name a saint with a city they are associated with, but other times use their surname? I'll do my best to answer that tricky question. And the might-be saint of the day is a Eucharistic miracle from Patierno in Italy on February 24th, which lines up to today's date from the year 1772. Let's take a look at the miracle news each week. We report on miracles happening all the, around the world and those things that relate to miracles. 
And of course, uh, throughout Christian history, we have the reports of relics having some sort of uh, some power in them, some supernatural power. And uh, there is a new exhibit of over 100 relics of Christ, the Holy Family, and saints to be displayed in a New Jersey parish. And this comes to us from Catholic News Agency. They report that an exhibit that includes more than 100 relics of Jesus Christ, the Holy Family, and numerous saints will be exhibited at a parish in northern New Jersey on Saturday, February 24th from noon to 7 p.m. And this is Our Lady of Mount Carmel's Oratory in Montclair, New Jersey. It's hosting this exhibit um, on 94 Pine Street, and the parish is in the Diocese of Newark. And it's uh, we, we see that this is going to be an experience for people, especially with an exhibit so large. And he's, the regional delegate, uh, Joe uh, Santoro, is supplying the relics, which, contain, which he obtained personally through his work to preserve these holy uh, objects from, from throughout the world. And the exhibit includes a handful of relics from the Passion of Jesus Christ, a small splinter of the True Cross, a piece of the Crown of Thorns, a piece of Christ's tomb, and a piece of the column on which Christ was whipped before his crucifixion. It also includes relics from the Nativity, such as a piece of wood from uh, and a piece of and a piece of our Holy Mother's veil, a piece of Jesus' crib, and parts of the bones of the three wise men. Of course, some of these relics uh, are perhaps disputed, uh, whether they're authentic or not, but uh, such a collection is quite impressive. 100 Relics of Jesus Christ. So check out that article I've posted to my Facebook feed of The Miracle Hunter, and you can check that one out. And if you're in the area in New Jersey, uh, you can go swing by and check that out. It looks to be an impressive display. Let's take a look at Catholic Pub Trivia. We do this every week where we ask a trivia question and give out a prize to the, uh, the Miracle Hunter image of the faces of Mary. And so the question for today is, uh, Venerable Nelson Baker died at the age of 94. Who was the oldest American saint at the time of their death? That was the question from last week. Thanks for everyone who wrote in. And the answer is Catherine Drexel uh, at age 96. Uh, she lived from November 26, 1858, to March 3, 1955. She was an American Catholic heiress, philanthropist, religious sister, and educator. And in 1891, she founded the Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament, a religious order serving black and indigenous Americans. So the answer to that one, the oldest uh, saint from the United States to die, it was at age 96. And let's take a look at uh, this week's question. We're talking about uh, a, a new film with a Catholic theme uh, called Cabrini from Angel Studios. And uh, we'll be talking to the executive producer later in today's program. And so uh, everybody knows uh, The Passion of the Christ was the highest grossing Catholic film in history. And so the question that nobody knows is what was the second? Again, the question is The Passion of the Christ was the highest grossing Catholic film in history. What was the second place finisher? If you think you know that answer and want to win the prize, the image of the faces of Mary, send me an email to questions at miraclehunter.com and maybe we'll be sending you out the prize as the fastest respondent uh, to that question. We need to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking about Cabrini, the new uh, film about St. Francis Xavier Cabrini. We'll be talking with Eustace Wolfington, the executive producer of Cabrini. Stay with us for that. Now, back to the Miracle Hunter on EWTN. Here's Michael O'Neill. Welcome back. You're listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show on 
EWTN Radio. This is Michael O'Neill. I'm the Miracle Hunter. People who tune into this show know that I love talking about saints, and in particular, American saints. And I'm a Chicago guy, so when we talk about American saints, there's nobody uh, better to talk about than St. Francis Xavier Cabrini. And uh, there's exciting news uh, related to uh, Francis Xavier Cabrini. That is a new film uh, that is out uh, through uh, Angel Studios. The name of the movie is, appropriately, Cabrini. And it comes from uh, the same team that put together the uh, award-winning film Bella and also Sound of Freedom. We're so excited today to be joined by the executive producer of this new film, Cabrini, and that's Eustace Wolfington. Welcome to the program today, Eustace. Uh, Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, this is an exciting thing, and I think that when we talk about faith films or or, or films that focus on uh, on, uh, on faith subjects, uh, we sometimes... Uh, don't see the quality uh, that we do in other Hollywood productions. But this film is different. It uh, definitely is held to that same high standard, and it's a beautiful film to watch. And so I, I want to congratulate you on, on a, a film well done. Uh, I want to ask, what inspired you uh, to do a film on Mother Cabrini? Well, at a very young age, uh, I was introduced to Mother Cabrini uh, through a novena, and uh, I kind of made her my role model. And then 60 years later, a nun walked to my office and said, will you help me do a movie on Mother Cabrini? Hmm. I turned her down for six years. I told her I never wanted to do another movie. We had done Bella. Uh, she finally invited me to the Cabrini Shrine and introduced me to an Italian film company. I said, they're going to do the film. And when I saw what they were going to do, I said, sister, you cannot do that to Cabrini. Hmm. We have to make a Gandhi-like movie, this woman. He was a Hindu who didn't get in the way. She's a nun that can't get in the way. We have to do a fantastic movie on this powerful, holy woman and make it universal so the whole world will want to see it. There'll be no preaching. Uh, the only preaching will be her life and her life's work. And uh, we were able to accomplish that, and it's been universally accepted by, by everyone. So it's a film full of hope. Uh, you, you, you just... Anyone walking into this film walks out a different person. And, and they all say, everyone has to see this film of Cabrini. And they all yeah, say, we, we never expected this. Because they're expected to come in and see a story about just a, a nun, <clears throat> not a story of this dynamic woman and the things she's accomplished uh, in such a short period of time in her life. Yeah, let's talk about how she's an incredibly successful entrepreneur, uh, creating 67 institutions all around the world and um, had such a great impact, uh, later becoming uh, the first American saint. But uh, in her life, she was she was so successful. Talk about somebody from such humble beginnings, such a, a small person, you might say, had such a big uh, impact. Well, the amazing thing is, she, of course, never had more than high school education. Uh, came to America when she was 39 years of age. She spent her first 39 years in Italy, uh, building orphanages and schools. Uh, when she came to America, the Italian immigrants were in desperate, desperate condition. And Mother Cabrini, being an educator, uh, realized that the secret was to give everyone a great education. So her first two days here, she had a school open. Uh, so she was driven, uh, her vision was driven to, you know, carry the message of Christ around the world. 
And he gifted her with incredible inter- and, and the skills of the organization. Uh, Mother Kermini was the management, the management guru of all managers. Uh, when she opened Columbus Hospital, she was out in 120 days. And it was running like a clock. Uh, because she just knew how to pick great administrators. Uh, she had everybody in the place, knew what the job was, right down to um, the guy sweeping the floor. So she had these great skills. And, and, and she probably didn't plan uh, to be as big as she was. I don't know. Uh, but she was so successful each time she did something, it just accumulated. And she was the seven countries. Absolutely amazing. We're talking today with Eustace Wolfington, the executive director, or executive producer of the new film, Cabrini, about St. Francis Xavier Cabrini. And we might say that this is not necessarily a faith film or one that's focused on spirituality. Uh, perhaps it focuses more on the historical uh, aspects of uh, the life of this great uh, nun and saint. How did you uh, sort of navigate the challenge of uh, making a character like uh, Francis Xavier Cabrini uh, in a in a, uh, a nun's habit uh, become acceptable to a wide audience? You mentioned Gandhi having that same sort of challenge, but turning into a, a brilliant film. How did you see the the challenge of uh, of taking someone who was a nun and making her uh, making her acceptable or uh, appealing to a wide audience? Well, I guess when we started shooting, we took the attitude that she was a woman who did great things who just happened to be a nun, and that line was clearly defined as we shot the film. Um. Her life, a humanitarian part of her life, was so powerful. Uh, it's like, I guess, as St. Francis said, I like to give a sermon and sometimes use words. Well, we felt that way with Cabrini. We wanted her life to be the sermon. Mm-hmm. And, she, and, and, and by the way, that's who she was. Uh, she, she was a 24-7 worker, uh, tirelessly, and... You know, all her prayer life was done in the wee hours of the morning with both her and her nuns. Uh, you know, from daybreak on, they were taking care of the poor, taking care of the sick, in with, in with the immigrant homes, helping in prisons, helping in mines. Uh, Mother Cabrini's, uh, and, 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 and when she did something, she didn't just show up. She always did something to make it last. She always had a purpose. And and, uh, and she, I guess she was driven. Uh, the four things that drove her nuns, and what she preached was humility, absolute humility, love, service. She had a saying: "We have plenty of time to rest in heaven. <laughs> While we're here on earth, we must serve." And her last, the most important. Not most important, but as important was simplicity. Keep everything simple, and that was one of her great gifts. She was able to keep everything, do great things, and keep them and keep them simple. Very well put. We're talking today with Eustace Wolfington, executive producer of the new film Cabrini, and uh, I think that one of the things that everybody likes, all filmgoers like, an underdog story. 
And she is a true underdog, and uh, maybe that we can all identify with that in some ways. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, how you see that playing into a successful film. And we know a lot of people see this film, but she say, they say, she's the Rocky of woman. <laughs> and it is a good analogy, because she was an underdog. When she came to America, they tried to send her home. Uh, the Italians came here in the 1880s. The Irish came in the 1840s. And by the time the Italians came, the Irish, who had also gone through a terrible time, were well-established. And they, for some reason, had a dislike for the Italians. And were going to make sure they suffered the same thing that they had suffered. Uh, so they kind of blocked them off and cut them out of everything. So Mother Cabrini had the tenacity uh, and the charm. In fact, that was one of her beautiful gifts. Uh, she overcame with not just perseverance and persistence, but with charm and intelligence. Um, so she was the underdog, but what made her the ultimate underdog was the way she could fight back. No one had to fight what she had to fight. She had to fight the church. She had to fight the uh, society at the time, or against the, against the Italians. She had to fight the ignorance uh, of the Italian immigrants who came from southern Italy. And her nuns, by the way, all came from northern Italy. They were well-educated. And when they came here, they were in shock. And, and that's when Mother Cabrini uh, pointed out to them humility. You know, you, 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 you're, you're serving Christ. And, and they just went, went, went at it and, and were tireless. You know, I always like, a lot of people don't realize it, but in 1946, when Mother Korea was canonized, canonized on July the 7th, a woman went to that canonization. That woman left that canonization and three weeks later resigned from her order and said, I'm going to model my life on Mother Cabrini. And that was Mother Teresa. And I only mentioned that because Mother Teresa we all know about, Mother Cabrini we don't know about, but everything Mother Teresa did, Mother Cabrini did. Uh, and in many ways, uh, accomplished even more things with the universities, the schools, the education she established. So um, I'm kind of just rambling on about this woman. <laughs> uh, but uh, when, we, when you uh, made this film, and it's now uh, going to be in theaters, and uh, we hope that both Catholics and non-Catholics attend this film and uh, get acquainted with the life of Mother Cabrini. What is your great hope uh, for people who see this film? How can they perhaps uh, draw closer to Christ as a result of this great example of this saint? What can we learn uh, from St. Francis Xavier Cabrini? Uh, <clears throat> let me tell you two parts. I, I, I think the first part, uh, we wanted everyone to fall in love with Father Cabrini and come from the back door. Because the media, the, if they fall in love with her, they look her up, you, there's great, you go to the Internet, there's all kinds of information about Cabrini. <coughs> and they could come to her through the back door. Uh, secondly, we wanted to make a film this is a $50 million film. This is not a low-budget, independent film. We wanted to make a film, world-class, 
to do honor to the mother community, to do honor to the faith, and in the highest art form. And the music, uh, and the acting, and the, and the dialogue, that alone would come to the movie. It's just such a movie, inspirational movie. Um, and, and people, uh, her life is what makes people want to be better. I mean, to a person, they walk out saying, what can I do to live my life better? What can I do to improve my life? What can I do to make my life more like Mother Cabrini's? And in today's world, uh, which is, you know, a pretty secular world, uh, to have everyone, atheists, Muslims, Hindus, watch this film, every faith-based, and be so inspired. Uh, it's just, it's just, it's good. And our hope is that hundreds of millions of people will see this film. And our greatest disappointment is that some people won't see it. And we want everybody to see this film. It's a magical, magical film. Wonderful. Well, we're so grateful to you, Eustace Wolfington, the executive producer of this film, Cabrini. This brand new film out on Prance and Savior Cabrini. It will be in theaters uh, nationwide on International Women's Day on March 8th. Uh, we're so grateful to you for joining us uh, on today's program. Thank you, Michael. And that was Eustace Wolfington, executive producer of Cabrini, talking to us about the new film out about the American saint, the Chicago saint. I'm a Chicago guy. I'm really excited about this film being out. Uh, join, see it in theaters on March 8th, right around the corner. We need to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to be looking at the question of the week. Stay with us for that. Now, back to the Miracle Hunter on EWTN. Here's Michael O'Neill. Welcome back. You're listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show on EWTN radio. This is Michael O'Neill. I'm the Miracle Hunter. Hey, I love getting your questions. People write in from around the world with questions about miracles happening in today's world and those that have happened centuries ago. And uh, I, I love getting the email questions. I love to see what people are thinking about. And I also love getting questions when I give, uh, give talks. I give presentations at different Catholic parishes, uh, events, uh, at different shrines throughout the country, maybe 20 uh, per year. I usually speak for about 45 minutes, and then I open it up to questions at the end. Sometimes it's 15 minutes. Sometimes it goes a while because people have questions, and hopefully I have some answers. And for people who want to invite me to speak at their parish or shrine, uh, they can invite me through my webpage. Go to MiracleHunter.com and click on the Contact tab. And a lot of uh, parishes and other places are interested in the Eucharistic Revival. And I give a presentation on Eucharistic Miracles. That seems to be the popular one these days. And so uh, we have a question coming in through, uh, through email this week. It says, uh, why does the Catholic Church sometimes name a saint with the city they're associated with, but other times they use their surname? For example, Mother Teresa is known as St. Teresa of Calcutta or Mother Teresa of Calcutta. But uh, St. Andre uh, is not called St. Andre Montreal. He's St. Andre Bissette. 
So um, there's no rule as to why this happens this way. Um, and I, I think many saints predate the establishments of regular inherited surnames. And many times it, we have to look at how the saint was known in life. Uh, of course, uh, popes are never uh, canonized according to their given name, but always according to their papal name. And religious are very rarely canonized according to their given name, but instead use their religious name. So it oftentimes has to do with uh, where they were, uh, how they were known. Um, and of course, there are some cases where um, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, that is just how she was known. And so, uh, but uh, to my eye anyway, in modern times, we see almost all saints and almost all blesseds uh, being identified with their last name. If you go to a uh, website like catholicsaints.info, for example, which lists all the saints throughout history, I like that site very much. Uh, I can always tell who's a modern saint or a blessed because they have their given surname as part of their saint name or blessed name. So it seems to be a modern convention uh, to use the, the surname and not attribute uh, the city name. Um, of course, uh, there's not too many... Uh, there's not too many St. Michaels in the world, so I'm still working on that, trying to be uh, St. Michael of Chicago. I've got a long way to go, as uh, as you all can attest to. But a uh, great question today from Jim. Thank you so much, Jim, uh, for your question. And if you have a question for the Miracle Hunter, you can send me an email to uh, questions at miraclehunter.com. Let's take a look at the 365 Days with Mary project. We've got the Virgin Guide from Alcarajejos in Spain in the 13th century. The Virgin of Guidance, or the Virgin Guide, is the shared patron of four Sierra Morena towns, Fuente La Lanche, Villanueva del Duque, uh, Hinojosa del Duque, and Alcarajejos. According to legend, a herder located the small statue of the Virgin in the hollow of an oak tree, whose acorns bore a similar image on their caps. Another tradition recounts that the herder discovered in the basin of a fountain this image. When he tried to bring it home, the image had disappeared. He found it again there the next day, and the story repeated. The man sought again to bring it home, but inexplicably it returned. The present bronze image, bronze image there is a 1939 replica of the original statue that was lost during the Civil War, and there is a procession on February 24th of every year from Villa Nueva to Alcarazejos, where it will stay until Easter. And that is the 365 Days with Mary for today, the Virgin Guide from Spain in the 13th century. For more information on this fascinating devotion or any of the hundreds of other Marian devotions from around the world, you can check out the website, 365dayswithmary.com. Join the Facebook page with 10,000 followers or download the free app, 365 Days with Mary, Marian Calendar from the Apple App Store. Let's take a look at the Miracle of the Day. We uh, do this every week. This is a new uh, segment that we do here on the Miracle Hunter radio show where we find a miracle from around the world uh, that lines up exactly to the day's date. And uh, each, each week we have a new one. So this is, uh, this is a, fun, a fun addition to the show. So the story goes that on August 29, 1774, the Curia of the Archbishop uh, expressed itself favorably regarding the miraculous finding and inexplicable preservation of hosts stolen from the Church of St. Peter's in Paterno, Italy, on February 24, 1774. In 1971, the Eucharistic year of the diocese had been established in order to allow the community to capture the essence of this Eucharistic miracle. Unfortunately, in 1978, some unknown thieves were able to steal the relic with the miraculous hosts 
from 1772. And so officially in 1772, uh, unknown thieves stole a certain number of consecrated hosts that were found a month later in the lands of Duke del Grotelle underneath uh, a pile of manure. However, the sacred hosts were completely intact. The appearance of mysterious lights and a dove made it possible to see where the hosts were buried. St. Alphonsus Liguori described the miracle in detail and took the opportunity to reawaken the faith and devotion of the people towards the Eucharist. The Vicar General Monsignor Onorati drew up the minutes of the diocesan trial, which lasted two years, from 1772 to 1774. In the minutes, it was stated that the appearance of lights and the intact preservation of the consecrated host, quote, has been and is an authentic miracle operated by God to illustrate more and more the truth of the Catholic dogma and increase the worship towards the real presence of Christ in the Holy Sacrament of the Eucharist, end quote. And among the various testimonies uh, that were given, uh, there were three re- re- renowned scientists of that time, um, one of which was Dr. Domenico Cotigno of the Royal University of Naples. And he, they all agreed, saying that the intact preservation of the host cannot be explained with physical principles, and they surpass the power of natural agents. Therefore, we must consider this to be miraculous. In 1972, a professor of physiology from the University of Naples confirmed the above statement, and the sanctuary said that the prodigious event of St. Peter is a gift, and a divine warning for the whole archdiocese, its voice must never weaken, but must urge the faithful of all times to consider the message regarding the bread of life for the salvation of the world launched by Christ. That is uh, taken from the website of Carlo Acutis, uh, who did uh, research into Eucharistic miracles, and that's for today's date, uh, February 24th, we have this Eucharistic miracle in Paterno in Italy in 1772. Let's take a look at They Might Be Saints. We do this every week where we look at those people on the path to to sainthood. We talk about uh, servants of God, venerables, blessed, before they have all their miracles and are declared saints by Rome. And there's a new new set of saints who are advancing, uh, the Sri Lanka uh, martyrs uh, in that Easter bombing. Their sainthood cause has opened. And so a ceremony to formally announce these new martyrs will take place on the five-year anniversary of the terrorist attack on the three churches and hotels in Sri Lanka. And the Catholic Church in Sri Lanka has announced that the victims of the 2019 Easter bombings could be named martyrs and saints. At least some of the 273 people who were killed in the bombing of these churches, including 11 Christians from India, will see their cause for sainthood advance on April 21, 2024, the five-year anniversary of the terrorist attack. Uh, from Islamic extremist group with links to ISIS. They attacked three churches and three luxury hotels in Sri Lanka. So uh, perhaps we have some new saints, some new martyrs uh, coming out of Sri Lanka. Let's take a look at the might-be saint of the day. We do this every week where we find the saint, that person or that future saint, someone on the path to sainthood, whose uh, feast day or death anniversary lines up exactly to the day's date. For today, we have Blessed Florentina Nicolgoni, who lived in Spain from 1868 to 1940. And her memorial is February 24th, which is today. And she was born on March 14, 1868, in Tafala in Navarra, Spain, in Navarre, Spain, as Florentina Nicolgoni. And she was the youngest of four children, educated in the St. Rose of Lima Dominican boarding school at Huesca in Spain, where she became a Dominican nun in 1885, and she took the name Ascension. She became a teacher in 1886, and in 1913, the Spanish state took over the school and expelled the sisters. 
and she became a missionary to Peru, arriving with eight others. In 1913, she taught girls and cared for the poor and sick, and she co-founded the Dominican Missionaries of the Rosary in 1918 and served the rest of her life as its first superior. Today, the congregation has 785 missionaries in 21 countries. She died on February 24, 1940, in Pamplona, in Navarre, Spain, of natural causes. She was declared venerable in 2003 by Pope John Paul II and beatified on May 14, 2005, by Pope Benedict XVI. And uh, with one more miracle, Blessed Florentina will be known as Saint Florentina. So uh, some something else to pray for there. And let's take a look at uh, They Might Be Saints this week. So people who want to tune into the television series, they can also pick up the book, They Might Be Saints, from EWTNRC. But if you want to look at the television series, there's a new episode on Francis Xavier Silos on February 28th at 8 a.m. Eastern Time. In the life of Francis Xavier Silos, a renowned confessor, spiritual director, and leader of missions throughout the United States in the early 19th century, uh, has the opening of his cause with a new miracle that's being attributed to him. So we'll see if that is the miracle that elevates him from blessed to saint. So check that one out. They might be saints this week, February 28th at 8 a.m., uh, Francis Xavier Silos. We need to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to be speaking with James Valois, the author of Our Lady's Prophecies from Sophia Institute Press. Stay with us for that. Now, back to the Miracle Hunter on EWTN. Here's Michael O'Neill. Welcome back. You're listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show on EWTN Radio. This is Michael O'Neill. I'm the Miracle Hunter. People know me from my website, miraclehunter.com, where I have as many as 2,500 Marian apparitions from around the world cataloged on that website. And one of the very early uh, Marian apparitions that we've seen some sign of church investigation and approval is Our Lady of Good Success, which occurred, according to the records, uh, at the end of the 1500s uh, in, in a way that we have a uh, venerable, uh, who is, who is the, uh, the visionary, we have a miraculous statue uh, that's been claimed, and there are numerous other miracles and signs of recognition from the church related to Nuestra Señora del Buen Successo. This is a place in Quito, Ecuador, that I have visited myself for the feast day. It's absolutely amazing. February 2nd is, uh, is the feast day and the, the date of the first apparition, according to the early accounts. And so we're so excited about a brand new book that came out. We've talked about Our Lady of Good Success some weeks ago. We talked with Matthew Arnold, uh, who, uh, who wrote the foreword to this book. And uh, this is a great new book. Uh, we don't see many books in English about this topic. And this is a Marian apparition that everybody needs to get to know, simply because uh, this apparition first began in the 1500s, but there were prophecies that related specifically to the 20th century and beyond, which is in the exact era that we are living in ourselves. So it's absolutely uh, bone-chilling and mind-numbing in some ways to see that these prophecies are coming true. And the name of the new book, Our Lady's Prophecies, is out from Sophia Institute Press, and we're joined today by the author, James Valois. Thank you, James, for joining us on today's program. Thank you very much, Michael, for having me. This is... uh, 
This is a, a great new book that we've got called Our Lady's Prophecies. And if you were to ask the average Catholic, even somebody who loves Mary, even somebody who is well-versed in Marian apparitions of Guadalupe, Lourdes, and Fatima, you might ask them about Our Lady of Good Success, and they might give you a blank stare. This is not uh, a well-known Marian apparition in the United States. That's exactly true. It's uh, It's one of those situations where... It wasn't meant to be known until now, and that's part of the reason I wrote the book, was to add my voice to the many voices out there from other countries that are writing about this and trying to bring this apparition and these apparitions to the forefront at this point. And even the title itself, Nuestra Señora de Buen Suceso, Our Lady of Good Success, is a little bit challenging, I think, for in English. Uh, we don't uh, really know what that means to be uh, hoping for good success as it relates to a Marian apparition. What is what is the title, Our Lady of Good Success? The title of Good uh, Lady of Good Success goes back to Europe, and it actually goes back to three Roman soldiers that uh, literally uh, experienced a miracle of protection from Our Lady when uh, the emperor, I believe it was Diocletian, was wanting to kill them for their newfound faith in our Lord. And so uh, he tried to kill them, and they, they asked Our Lady's protection, received the protection. Later on, um, the emperor, I think it was, like I say, Diocletian, uh, he, he was able to kill them. And this is not uncommon. We've seen this type of thing happen before. But that's where it goes back. And it goes back also to Spain, where they would pray, um, women that were having difficult pregnancies would pray to Our Lady to help them through through the difficult pregnancy. Sure. So the success, perhaps, is uh, to for good, safe childbirth. And um, when we talk about uh, the vision, any type of Marian apparitions or visions throughout Christian history, we always have to point to the visionary. We have to look at the person who's claiming these visions and presenting them to their community and the world. And in this case, we have somebody who's been declared venerable, Mother Mariana, who received these visions uh, in the late 1500s. Talk a little bit about the person who was uh, Mother Mariana. Yes, Mother Mariana came from the northern part of Spain in uh, the farming country where they were in the where the wine country is up there in Spain. And uh, her relative, uh, her aunt, was a religious conceptionist, not a nun. And Mother Mariana, from a very young age, was drawn to a deeper relationship with our Lord. And so Mother Mariana continued her life, and experienced, the family experienced some uh, tragedy in a fire that happened way back uh, when when she was a young girl. She used to live next to a church, and it burned down in, all, in her house, too. So they had to move away in, into another part of the area, and um, she was a, just a very um, sensitive, a very uh, beautiful child, uh, both physically and spiritually, and she was also drawn to our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. Uh, and so she was the one that eventually decided to go and be a missionary to the, the New America, uh, South America. Uh, at the time, it was um, just the colony of St. Francis. And uh, so she went there and uh, with her aunt and, and four other nuns. And they were traveling um, the high seas. That was the 
the, the means of travel, of course, at that time. Her mother and father wanted her, they were happy that she wanted to be a nun, but they were hoping that she would be a nun in Spain so that they could probably have a chance to see her from time mm-hmm. to time. But that didn't happen. But she, uh, this kind of a life of uh, many miracles that happened uh, through Sister Mariana. And for her, it was almost like the ordinary becomes the extraordinary. Absolutely. We're talking today with James L. Waugh, author of Our Lady's Prophecies. It's a new book out from Sophia Institute Press about the little-known apparitions of Our Lady of Good Success from Quito in Ecuador. Let's talk about those apparitions. When did they begin, and uh, what was the experience of Mother Mariana? Okay, they began approximately 1882, and Mother, she, she began to experience these messages and Our Lady told her that these messages would be for the 20th century and beyond, you know, kind of implying that they're going to spill over into the 21st century. So these messages would talk, would talk about a de- decline of faith and morals that would happen in our time, and a, a decline in the sacraments. And, of course, we see a decline in, in virtually every sacrament even in, uh, in the United States, there's a substantial decline, and I could give you the numbers. I put the numbers in my book of, of the decline in the sacraments, but many people have a misunderstanding of the sacraments, as well as uh, many people are not taking advantage of critical sacraments, which all of them are, but, for example, the sacrament that we might think very little of, of um, the last rites, you know, many people are not getting that, that food for the journey to the next world. And so there's a, there's a need for uh, much catechesis in this area uh, to re-ignite uh, re- the fire of faith and understanding of the sacraments. We're talking today with James L. Waugh, the author of Our Lady's Prophecies, a brand new book from Sophia Institute Press about Our Lady of Good Success, an apparition event that happened in Quito, in Ecuador. And one of the fascinating aspects of uh, Our Lady of Good Success is this statue. I've seen that statue with my own eyes. I've uh, been to that church in Quito, in Ecuador, and it's considered to have been a miraculous statue. Talk, if you would, uh, James, about uh, how this statue came to be and why do we consider it to be miraculous? Yes, um, very interestingly, um, the... Our Lady chose the artist, the sculptor, to make the statue, and he had a handicap in his hands. And, um, you know, just as an aside, uh, my nephew, he has a handicap in his hands, and he's a, he's a Catholic artist and does beautiful paint, paintings. Well, <clears throat> he ended up asking me if I would like a painting on this regard, and this was while I was working on the book. And so I don't know if he knew anything about that, but he deci- he decided to to do a painting, and I have included that in the book. But the statue that was originally done was a beautiful statue by this artist named Francisco. And one of the things that, as he was doing it, he realized he needed some some new paint in order to um, to make the faces come alive. And so he traveled. He said, I'm going to have to travel to get some new paint. And as he traveled, Our Lady appeared 
and uh, with the archangels, and they finished the the painting or the sculpturing and the work for him. So it truly is a miraculous statue, and Our Lady wanted to do that because she wanted to show the sisters that she would protect them through all the different attacks that would happen through the centuries, and they've had plenty of them. Amazing. We're talking today with James L. Waugh, author of Our Lady's Prophecies from Sophia Institute Press. And let's uh, let's circle back to those prophecies, and let's talk a little bit about the person a, a person who picks up your new book called Our Lady's Prophecies. If they pick it up and they find these prophecies to be compelling, and they say, these things have come true, what can we, other than the doom and gloom of, of saying... These are very uh, unfortunate predictions that have come true. What is your hope with this book for people to find inspiration uh, to take the next step? Uh, Mike, that's a very good question. Um, One of the things that I uh, hope that people will do is read it all the way through. It's not a long book, but read it all the way through, because the ending, I talk about the coming restoration, when things are looking to be uh, dark and like there is going to be no resolution on, on the good side of things, that if the enemy is going to win and, and, and Our Lady promises, that's when her hour appears. That's when she's going to step in. And it's a beautiful message because it helps people to know not only that they need to keep on fighting the good fight of faith and living their daily duties and praying the rosary, but they you know, we need to also keep in mind that we are winning, even though it looks like right now we might be losing on different fronts, especially some of the most important fronts. But we're winning because we're moving toward that restoration point. Wonderful. Well, we're, we're so excited for this book about Our Lady of Good Success. And it's a Marian apparition, as I, as I led the show with, that not many Americans or Catholics know about. This is This is going to be eye-opening for a lot of people. And we're so happy that there's a new book in English that's out there. There are numerous books in Spanish about this, but uh, Our Lady's Prophecies from Sophia Institute Press. Uh, Where can people go to pick up this book, James, or to find out more about you and your work? Sure. Um, One of the things I would recommend that they go to Sophia Institute Press and get it, you know, to get a copy right there. And then, of course, it's available on Amazon as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, James Valois, author of Our Lady's Prophecies, for joining us today uh, to talk about uh, this new book and Our Lady of Good Success, the apparition from Quito in Ecuador. Thank you so much for joining us on today's program. Thank you very much for having me, Michael. God bless. That was James Valois. Check out that new book, Our Lady's Prophecies, from Sophia Institute Press. And that's all the time we have for today's show. If you missed any of this episode or want to catch up on past episodes, you can go to EWTN.com radio, check out the audio archives, or download the free EWTN app. I'd like to thank our guest today, Eustace Wolfington, executive producer of the new film Cabrini, and James Valois, author of Our Lady's Prophecies from Sophia Institute Press. Check out my show, Explore with the Miracle Hunter. We have a new episode about Le Puy coming out on uh, Saturday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. An early apparition occurred in the year 250 in Le Puy, France. And there, a convert named Vila saw a vision of the Virgin Mary and was completely cured of her serious illness. I'll be investigating that one. Check out Explore with the Miracle Hunter. 
on Saturday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And I'd like to thank you for joining me today on Miracle Hunter, where from claims of healings and visions to the world's most inexplicable events, whether you're a believer or a skeptic, the truth is always worth the hunt. Talk to you next week. Mother Angelica answering the call. We have another call. Hello? Hello, Mother Angelica. My name is Dennis, and I'm calling from New Jersey. Uh-huh. And my question is about fear. I am very close with my mother. I have a very close relationship, and I take care of her. She is ill, and she has been ill for a while. And I've just done everything that I possibly could do for her. I continually call a prayer list. And she had to go into the doctor's this past Friday night. Took the day off today to spend time with her. We went out for breakfast, and I asked her if she got her doctor results back. And she had said no, and I called my sister and said that she had. And the test results were all very, very bad. My first immediate action, I was just so angry because, one, she didn't tell me the truth. Two, I, I wanted to call her and tell her that I don't, I no longer want to speak with her anymore because if something happens to her, I can't deal with it. Why are you angry with your mom? Because I feel she's not taking the best care that she possibly can. I'm doing as much as I can for her. How old is your mother? 66. Sweetheart, some people at 66 feel like 86. And you have to take that into consideration. What you're really afraid of is being vulnerable. You don't want to be hurt again. You can't tell your mother who loves you so much that you don't want to talk to her. That's really selfish, you know that? Why do you want to hurt her so that you're not hurt? Love her? You say, well, she's not taking good care of herself. Well, she has free will. Do you love people only when they do what you want them to do? Is that how she loved you when she's bringing you up? You see, you owe your mother by the commandments faith. You owe her love and honor. If you like what you hear, Mother dishes out more teaching, advice, laughter, and plenty of prayers every Sunday at 2 and 8 p.m. Eastern on Mother Angelica Answering the Call, only on EWTN Radio.